Welcome to Creative Welly episode 44. My name is DK, the originator of this wonderful video podcast. Even though you're listening to the audio podcast, that's fine. But check us out on creativewelly.com. I think you'll be delighted by the video offer we have into the world there. Big shout out to John O'Tucker, our partner in crime, video producer at Empire Films. Jono produces the video podcast, so check that out. Also, thanks to David Hamilton over at Flash Dog Studio, hosts us as well. In this episode, we get to chat with Jenny Cameron, Chief Transformation Officer at Ministry for Primary Industries, and also Chris Jackson, Strategist and Foresight Practitioner. I'm not going to say anything more other than get into this. I think you're going to really enjoy it. I like collecting quotes. What's your go-to Oh, if I just ask you, yeah, yeah it's like yeah. You know, when someone asks, it's like, yeah. oh, I've got so many. No, yeah. I can't remember. No, I can't. Like a joke, can I? Tell me a joke. <laughs> yeah, you're the joke <laughs> for asking me that, right? I was thinking that with those things because my daughters are making those, except most of them re- right. re- revolve revolve around poo at some point. Quite right. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes, Always it's amazing to make those things, you know, because like they're so simple, but they so hark back to my childhood. This yeah. Is. Yeah. You know, the idea of, yeah, folding and making and yeah. and like you say, making up the questions and yes. things and making stupid little things about maybe characters or books of TV series you're watching. Yeah. And it was always like cutouts of like smash hits, not smash hits, but pre those. Yeah. can't remember mm-hmm. what they were, but cutouts in old magazines. You could make those and fold them over. Yeah. Already pre-made for you. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Kind of flashback time. Let's talk about what you're up to at the moment. Uh, we had a great conversation just earlier. As you know, we do three of these back to back. And uh, we started uh, talking about juicy problems. And that's where we started in terms of what problems are you trying to solve in your your world at the moment? So it was good, so I'm going to start there again. Like, what problems are you trying to solve in your worlds at the moment? Uh, I mean, business is an ever uh, continual, not necessarily problem, but Mm. challenge. Mm-hmm. In, in trying to um, develop a successful business mm-hmm. uh, and make that sort of viable and useful and enable you to do the stuff that you want to do within that business. But also, uh, I, I think what we're, we try and constantly do is push the edges of what we do. Mm-hmm. And that can be challenging in business because people want stuff that they're used to and familiar with. So when you're trying to sort of push the edge of the boundaries of your practice or whatever that is, the, you always feel that that can be a struggle mm. uh, because people just aren't there yet, right? So people are like, no, we want this thing. You, you've done this thing before, we want that. Uh, but, but we're like, but we've moved on from this thing, we're doing this thing over here. This, mm-hmm. is, this is really exciting. You should be over here in this space with us. Uh, so I think that's a bit of a challenge. Um, I think, Create. I'm, I'm. I'm thinking about creativity a, a lot at the moment, which is interesting that you sort of reached out to me to be on, be on this thing, uh, because it, uh, I'm. I'm thinking a lot about creativity and how we apply it to the big challenges that we're facing at the moment, and the idea that uh, we sort of apply 20th century thinking to 21st century mm-hmm. problems. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff that we think about and how we do things are not really appropriate for the stuff that we're faced with. Mm. And I think creativity has a massive role to play in 
addressing those challenges, but how do you create mm. the spaces for people mm. to be able to be creative in positive ways, right? Because I, I, I was just thinking about creativity as a thing and, and thinking, uh, well, actually, maybe you need to be really privileged to be creative, right? Mm. Maybe mm. that's a really privileged space, but then you, you go, well, actually, people are really creative about like crime and mm. you can torture people in really creative ways and you can you can be creative in almost any walk of life right yeah good point but how do you start to channel people's creativity in a mm. in a way that enables them to contribute in positive ways to mm. society gotcha. and i think for organizations and businesses that's what we need to be doing yeah. in order to address the things that we need to address. Mm. Do you think one of the challenges around that, uh, if we can linger, if that's all right, mm. we'll come back to your juicy problems, oh, sorry. Yeah. is the word itself and what people think creativity mm. or being creative is, mm. because it's such a, an abstract for some people concept and very obvious thing for mm. some others. And I'm reminded of some of your tweets about Rick Rubin and yeah. his latest book, and I've seen a couple of his podcasts because I'm terrible at reading. Yeah. So I always jump on podcasts and listen to what the book is about from the person himself. Mm. And he's been asked constantly, what do you actually do as a yeah. producer, this you know, Emmy, Grammy, award-winning, yeah. whatever, how many awards he's won? And he's always so humble with it. It's like, I just help people find mm. you know, where they yeah. want to go with something they're doing. Yeah. And it's, even then, it's very like, vague, though, isn't it's it? very vague, <laughs> it's but it's really very human vague. in his approach. It's like, yeah. you just got to leave everything behind. You just mm. got like, well, he's obviously made a success of being creative in the realm of music, mm. but even he can't define what? this yeah. is A, B, and C. That's mm. what I do. After how long has he been doing it? Is yeah. that one of the problems, but also the brilliance of creativity? Uh, <clears throat> I think people think creative art. Mm. You know, right, creative okay. music, creative, like, mm. like it goes to the arts quite often, like like theatre, whatever it is. But we apply creativity constantly in, mm. in, in, in everything, right, just at different levels. How do you apply it in your work? I think constantly thinking about new ways to apply knowledge or wisdom in terms of stuff that we learn mm -hmm. and then being able to go, but we, we know this other stuff, how can we reapply that in a creative way to reach some sort of outcome? Mm. And, uh, and I think sometimes it's the outcome stuff, right? Are, are, are we creating a piece of art? Are we stealing a car? Mm. And okay. then there's a big spectrum in that, but it's context specific, mm. right? So, mm. so it's creativity applied to X as, a uh, as opposed to this big broad umbrella of creativity where just mm. like, strategy mm. or sustainability it mm. gets really broad and really amorphous and people start putting their own perspectives on it and then mm. suddenly you're having seven different conversations about mm. one word where no one really agrees what it means mm. <laughs> so giving it some sort of specificity uh, specificity through that process mm. I, I think it totally makes really sense important. yeah the context is yeah king yeah you know yeah mm. used to be content yeah context and content <laughs> exactly yes. and for that applying different ways of getting to the outcomes we're looking for yeah because i've been thinking about this a bit of <clears throat> like um a lot of the stuff we know we don't or we learn but we don't apply it i did yeah. psychology and the, right. always that mm. saying you can't hold anyone's attention for 60 minutes it's the first 10 minutes yeah. okay. and the last 10 minutes they'll listen to mm, okay. yet 
we would be learning that in a lecture that was 60 minutes long of somebody <laughs> at the front talking to us. So, and then thinking the same thing that we know now more about neurodiversity and that diff some people be oral, some people will like reading, but we give a lot of our information still in a very, um, or say in the policy world, a lot of written content mm. that requires somebody to read 70 pages and fill in some questions, mm. yet it's not, we're not doing it in a very visually attractive way or an informative way. I think some places are using it more, but, um, and now with shorter, shorter attention spans, if I was reading, it's almost, it used to be what, 20 something seconds, then it was down to eight. Now I think it's three seconds right? to catch someone mm -hmm. to make them want to even look at your ad versus yeah. even versus some interesting policy piece that they should know about. Yeah. So then how do we move? Um, uh, we need to update the way government interacts with people to be more infographics, more visual, yeah. more um, webinars or videos or mm. other things so that all the types of people can interact with it, yeah. not just the people who like to sit down and read something and have time yeah. to write in. Yeah. But so there's a lot of that. And is that creativity or is that just applying knowledge and, and actually having the time and the effort to think, oh, well, I can't, you know, we've got to, this will do versus yeah. actually do we want to get to the reach the right people and how might we do it a bit differently? Yeah. Mm. I, I, I think also building on that, it's also things like, asynchronicity right through through covid mm. we don't always have to sit in a room or sit on be on mm. a meeting at whatever time it's actually here's some stuff that's been done is like a little video that's what we've been doing like a, a, a little bit recently of here's some stuff here's a video explainer over the top go away and do that in your own time mm. to be able to give people these opportunities because mm. people are working more flexibly now like people don't need to be in every single meeting that's ever been invented mm. in the history of humanity just mm -hmm. just to have bums on seats like how are how are we enabling people to to work in the best ways for them inside the organization mm. yeah mm. but you still need to have that outcome as yeah. a goal yeah right so coming back to the same question what do you see problems you're working on mm. a lot of juicy problems um <laughs> That you can talk about. That I can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's uh, that what's occupying my mind a bit at the moment is that um, division or um, and are we going to have more division? Um, so in a lot of the challenges of the work that I'm doing is, say, um, uh, on sustainability or climate change work and um, that uh, there are those that are saying it's all moving too fast and we need to slow down and it's all too much and um, and then there are those that are saying it's not going fast enough and everyone needs to change faster and mm. and um, in a lot of the work at, you know, around agriculture or the food systems is right at the center of a lot of that. And I've been reading lots of books over the, the, um, the last few months around the place of food. And I mean, it's fa fascinating because there are all these contradictory or juxtaposed ideas of um, just everyone get off meat and any animal-based product mm. completely and um, 
so more lab grown food or mm. not and then I get criticized it's not lab grown it might be cultivated meat and different mm. things but right. more um so just uh, and that uh, there's a that whole narrative of if we just do that then we'll solve climate change or that's a big but then on the flip side no actually there's a place for it but in a regenerative or a um a low emissions way or a low impact way how do we get back in harmony with that side it's more the industrialized way that's that's got us off track um but overall it does mean actually a whole big rethinking of our food where it comes from but it but going to some of your things you're saying before of that having time and energy to be able to um grow food prep food yeah know food, uh, history and what, what you've been educated in um, and then so is it a luxury of some, even the whole you know plant-based diet might be a luxury of some mm. and then you've got mm. um, who can afford what, sorry that was a whole big sort of mess of stuff but all of these sort of swirling around food and what what is a good diet yeah. and then who gets to access that, what are the barriers around that and then what are the entries into how you try and fix some of it? Because a lot of it's quite big um, and difficult. But um, but there's some really cool stuff going on as well, which is which is quite amazing. Because I was reading in the paper over the weekend about um, you know bottling and preserving, coming back mm. in fact, and cost mm. of living. We live in Newtown. There's the Newtown Food and Vegetable Market, which is awesome to go to. Um, and so, but then, and I have lots of debates with my dad, post-war Scottish, you know, grew up. Um, so that very much that everyone should know how to cook a soup and a broth, mm, right, okay, oats yeah. and water, you know, mm. high nutrition. What's the problem? Surely everyone, and, and there's a certain element of that, yeah. but also having the time and the heating and the, you know, and the right equipment mm. and all the rest of it and knowledge to be able to do all of it. So it's kind of, it's... Yeah, it's a really, I think, where we're getting to of that going back to some old ways or um, that uh, knowledge that might have been lost with a lot of convenience and we all got kind of used to having some of us, not all of us, got used to things being, you know, just buy a coffee every day and, yeah. and now we're hitting some of those challenges again. So, um yeah, just uh, so all of those sort of big things swirling around at the moment, and then what's the pathway forward for um, for communities, for New Zealand, for our place as an agricultural producing nation in the world as well, yeah. and the opportunity that we've got um, for export, but also looking after our own as well. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was hard. <laughs> no, no, but I was just, in my mind, I went visual. So I was thinking about Venn diagrams. So I was seeing all the overlaps about what you were mm. describing, the elements. And them as one thing would be hard enough. Mm. You know, just farming as an entity, farming as an entity, as an eco, a, a economic system mm. is different than just farming. And then you've got the whole education around that and climate change, sustainability and distribution. Mm. And then you've got nation states because now you've got New Zealand as an idea of an mm. economic powerhouse in terms of farming. And then you've got lab-grown slash cultivated meats mm. and impacting. And it's just, oh my God, good luck. Yeah. That's well, why I said. Whereas I'm like, that's what I do. So, yeah, so you're I'm like, like, let me swim. I've, I've just drawn that diagram for, right. a, for a project, basically. So I've, I've okay. draw, drawn something like that, but then I've drawn it for um, uh, marine governance and I've drawn it for energy mm. right, and I've drawn okay. it for 
So that's the stuff that we deal with. Yes. So that's like, oh, you, yeah. That's <laughs> it's fun, that, isn't it? That's the stuff that sort of floats my boat, right? Big mm. yeah. interconnected chain. But I, I, I think one of the challenges, no matter whether you're in agriculture or you're in energy mm. or wherever you are, it's that they, futurist foresight practitioners say, uh, thinking about the future is a privilege, right? Because mm. when you're challenged in the present, mm that's sometimes all you can think about. And if you're just putting food on the table day to day, mm -hmm. like thinking one or two days out, then that's what you're thinking about. You don't have the privilege to go, you know what, mm -hmm. I, I can sort of radiate and bathe in my glory in order mm -hmm. to think 10, 15, 20 years into the future. Mm -hmm. we, do, we, we do do that, we do it naturally. We're humans, we're, we survive that way from mm -hmm. thinking where's the, where's the dinosaur gonna jump out and get yeah, us or yeah. whatever that might be, right? Uh, but one of the challenges or opportunities in the work, I think, is recognising where people are. And uh, it, it's almost like you have to deal with what's happening in the present and enable to, uh, people to think about the future at the same time. Mm. And that can be quite challenging to do. Uh, and it depends where you are, where you are, like your headspace, your philosophy, mm. like where you stand on issues. So trying to create spaces for people where you enable them to sort of um, shed their skins in order to think differently about what could be in the future while acknowledging that mm. things in the present also need to be addressed. Mm. Exactly like you're dealing with, there's like cascading regulation, changes, costs, wherever you are, cost of living crisis, we're thinking like, what's the price of food now? We're not yeah. thinking like five or 10 years in the future, where's it gonna be? Because at the moment we're trying to go, where's petrol going, where's this mm. going? Where the, there's a lot of immediate problems, but when we look like that, we don't anticipate what's coming up in the future as well. Mm. So trying to find that balance for people mm. and enable them to, um, to think about the future without being inhibited by their views of the present, mm that's what good futures work does, mm. but it's not, it's not simple to do, right? Mm. You've got to take people on a journey yeah, yeah, yeah. and then enable them to be really participatory within that journey as well. Mm. Like they have to participate fully to be, uh, to, to have that experience mm. themselves as mm. well. Yeah. But when you have lots of different factions, no matter it be, uh, well, the, the future of energy is going to be solar mm. and, mm. and like everyone's going to have solar panels, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but that also creates for the people who can't have solar, mm -hmm. who have to rely on the grid, they're going to pay for the grid now. Mm. Yeah. And so like you get, you get energy poverty, there's all these other things that cascade mm. out, that nothing's as, as simple, simple necessarily as just going one way. Mm. And, yeah. and lots of people have the opinion. Mm. It's like, this is the way that you do it. And I, well, it, there isn't one way to do it. It's probably mm. lots of bits from lots of different places mm. and then getting people to work together to do mm. it. Agreed. I'm reminded of my, one of my first careers in youth work uh, in England. Yeah. And we, I very quickly learned The Ladder of Participation yeah. by Roger Hart, still used today in youth work practitioners. Yeah. Sounds like what it is, a ladder. Yeah. And every rung is a step up, step up the participation ladder. Mm. Yeah. So the obviously really low are tokenistic. You know, people are brought in right at the end. This is yeah. applied to youth work. So mm. if you were to run a, a youth uh, initiative, then young people are rolled out just to receive the information. And we're told, yeah, you, know, you have to have that. And mm. that's what being a good kid is, for example. Right to the top, 
obviously is then they lead mm. yeah and you as an adult support mm. yeah and that's the thing but i see that ladder of participation everywhere yeah. that you're describing mm. there especially because that co-creation or partnership led yeah. kind of design thinking mm. uh, language is all about participation yeah. it's all about eking out and and trying to create space for people to think differently and having the tools whether mm. it be the frameworks as tools mm. or even the tools as in language or even in the tools as in voice in yeah. a different way mm. voice written mm. voice typing mm. voice that you speak in or drawing whatever different way to have voice right or even showing up and standing somewhere specifically some of my events are about that mm. don't yeah. say a word you just stand somewhere to show what you think mm. or feel mm. you know it's really powerful it takes away agency of the voice but it gives you more voice because mm. you're standing where you think, where you think. or feel yeah. yeah and i'm always interested in how people create the conditions mm. for participation mm. yeah that's what you're describing and and that's what futures work is mm. yes it's, that's the trick it, it's right. like creating the conditions yeah. for people to participate and then having mm. a pathway to see their decisions mm having some effect right mm -hmm. so right, so so it's yes that's true not just yes. theatrical oh we've yes. done this thing it, it, yeah. it was really good okay so where's it going now mm. where how mm. how will we see some impact from this how, how's our organization gonna mm. enact some of these things that we've mm. brought to the table right i also think timing is such an interesting part in it because if it's just futures work for the sake of sitting in a lovely space and musing about things mm. but without any sense of urgency mm. then you won't draw people into the room or they'll do it once, but if it doesn't mm. have the... But then if people are too focused on the immediate, yeah. then they can't find the space yeah. for the... And so it's that right mix of sometimes you just need the act and get on with stuff because yeah. other times that paralysis by analysis and we just go round yeah. and round because you have to pick... You have to pick a pathway and start moving, yeah. but still noting some of those those trigger points or the horizons as they start playing out. And yeah. so creating that, um, getting the timing right is, is such, such an, because so often on things, we've got lots of information, but the impetus to act yeah. hasn't been there for better or worse mm. until a certain set of circumstances arrive. And then we start to go, oh gosh, we should have done this 10 years ago, but we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the next best time is now. But um, so sort of that, as humans, why don't we respond to some of that stuff? Because yeah. we're not all rational necessarily, or we respond to different rational triggers, I suppose, is that. It's also mm. that thing of the future never comes, right? It's, mm. like, mm. it's, it's never arriving and then suddenly it's here and we went, okay, well, we knew this was coming. Why didn't we do yeah, something about it? Yeah. And a complete example of that is artificial intelligence, mm. ch chat GPT, like 40, 50 year old research field. Mm. You could read any like scenario report for the last 20 years saying artificial intelligence is going to do yes, this. Yes, and, yes. and then suddenly overnight, yeah. because someone changed a user interface to a chat, a user interface, Everyone on, on LinkedIn has lost mm. their mind, and that's all anyone's talking about, isn't it? Right. But, but it was just it was coming in, it, it was, was coming in. Time. But yeah. it's it's the it's sort of the overlap and the coalescence of lots of different stuff coming together yeah. at, at a point, and then that suddenly bang. Is it yeah, that slow, 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 fast? Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The J curve. Is yeah, it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're we're not very good at anticipation, and and it is that thing of. I, I do think it is that thing of 
we try and deal with stuff in the relative near future and keep the wolves from the door constantly and it, it is hard to stretch out and go but what if this happened mm. but what if that happened but what if this happened mm. and lots of organizations that try and do that are mm. better prepared yeah. to to act when 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 things happen but even even like there's lots of futures talking about chat gpt going oh like, hold on, we've been talking about this for ages. Mm. Mm. Why is it suddenly still such a, a surprise as it hits in a way that, yeah. you know, like really, really captures people's imagination? It's like, why is, why is this still a surprise to people? Mm. Well, isn't it about maybe intersections there? Yeah. Like there's an intersection, both technology, like you just said, the interface yeah. changed, mm. but the, the computational power, yeah. uh, with the computational power, sorry, as well as an mm. addition, so it intersected many many things to make it a fulcrum piece or oh, now everything is there mm. and it's ripe and like you say futures work is probably by its very nature um, gonna fail more often than not mm. because it's constantly looking for what's gonna be projected versus what's right happening right now what's on the doorstep they're always going you know the three horizon plans yeah, or yeah. you know they're going much further out and it's like no no what, what's literally next year what are we seeing next year going to hit? And what is the nexus point for those next year hits going to be? And can we get ahead of that? Maybe. Mm. And there could be that for Horizon 1 and maybe Horizon 2 and Horizon 3, right? But I always find it's the intersections are the most interesting places mm. anyway. Mm. You know, think about physically the intersections on the planet, you know, like airports and stuff. Mm. It's the most busiest places on the planet, right? They're the most lines. interesting. Yeah. People <laughs> passing through, kind of. Fault lines, the intersections. Fault lines as well, yeah. Just, just down the road where we Yeah. Are. That's where the, the abrasion happens and where mm. energy is released en masse, right? Mm. Mm. Extend the metaphor for you, you know? Wellington. That's why we're here. Yeah. Yeah, there's that lovely uh, poem on the, the, the Civic Square bridge mm. over to the boat shed, which mm. talks about Wellington is an action city, it's a verb, because mm. no one ends up in Wellington. You have to attempt to be there. Yes. Mm. It's mm. so far away from everything. So mm. historically, it would have been, that would be the case. Mm. You can't end up in Wellington. You have to mm. attempt to be to there. Be Therefore, there. it's full of action, yeah, mm. because mm. of that. But I think, and the lion, it was full of action because of the plates. And like the New Zealand is that. Yes. Mm. Yeah. What brought you to Wellington? Good question. I ended up here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of did, yeah. Sort of did, but maybe, maybe in a sort of focused way, like 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 you say, you don't just end up in New Zealand, but unless you live in New Zealand, obviously, <laughs> you don't just end up in New Zealand. So we, uh, myself and my wife, used to have design studios in London, and we were doing stuff in London, and then we decided just to, we didn't want to continue with the rat race this is sort of 2006 2007 uh we left in 2007 we we decided we'd do a trip uh around the world and we go for like three months and then we saved up some money and we said no we'll go for six months and then we saved up some money and we got married and we got some more money so we're like okay let's go for a year so we so we we got one-way tickets to mumbai flew to Mumbai in, in like January 2007 and then sort of knew where we wanted to be across the year, like seasonally where would be good to be going from India to Southeast Asia down mm -hmm. to New Zealand. So, mm -hmm. so we knew right. we were coming to New Zealand mm -hmm. but, um, because I, I got a visa for 
like a 20, I worked a residence visa, which ends at 30 years old, so, so I was 29. So I just snuck in for that visa. So we knew we were coming, but we were looking at where we could live on the way. So we thought, oh, maybe we could live in Vietnam, maybe we could live in Singapore, maybe we could live in Australia, whatever it was, like looking for places. And then uh, I saw a job advertised in, we were in the west of Australia, I saw a job advertised at the university as a design lecturer or design tutor, applied for that, got an interview, got to Wellington in November, I said to my wife, why don't you, uh, my wife was a really talented textile designer, I said, why don't you go to the university, like show your portfolio and CV. Mm. So they were looking for someone at the same time. So mm. she managed to land a role, I managed to land a role. And mm. then Serendipity. 16 years later, mm. <laughs> two children. Yeah. They'll do it, you're here. And do you have itchy feet at all again? Or? No, not, no, no, not at the moment. Mm. No. Where are you from originally? Uh, a small mining village in the north of England. Which is? So like Ravenfield, it's like Ravenfield. a colliery. Mm -hmm. Probably like you and I probably have no right to be in New Zealand. We probably shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> it's like from I the valleys, yeah, yeah. from a mining village in like the north sure. of England. Yeah, mm. uh, so yeah, and, and I'd, always, I'd always read that Wellington was like quite cool and it had like a good gay scene and, and there was music and clubs and stuff mm. like that. So it, so it was always on the radar as like somewhere to come. Yeah. And then when I got here, I was like, yeah, let's go. Mm. But I'd, we, we were so used to living on beaches. Like, <laughs> so like gone wow. from a city of like 11 million people or whatever it was. Yeah. Like, and then got so used to living on beaches and mm. just like going into cities and stuff and then going away and whatever. That when we got to Wellington, it was like, it was just busy enough. It's yeah. like, this is mm. good. And in November, you said you got here? Yeah. Ah, perfect. Well, uh, just on the cusp uh, of summer. Sort of October, November, yeah. Yeah, so summer feels. Yeah. And mm. the city's starting to yeah, blossom. Yeah, and, and then we met some good people who put us up for six months. And mm. then uh, it's just been really good. To, it's been a mm. place that's been really, really good to us. That's cool. Mm. Cool. Mm. What do you think you brought from back home, though? Uh, I think that design sensibility, like you see, oh, it's yeah. it, it's a Western design sensibility. Okay. And over the last fifteen years, I've learned a lot about, you know, we we work with indigenous clients, we work with uh, Maori organisations, uh, 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 Maori organisations, we work with iwi organisations. So growing in that space has been really special I suppose really because you come with a load of baggage and then you, you, you sort of go yeah that's mm. all that sort of colonizer baggage as well mm. <laughs> like they're, they're all those points of view that we sort of bring with us mm. from Europe and then you come somewhere else and go actually there's a lot of different ways to look at the world totally. and I think that's what's really mm. I think it's, it's fascinating it's a privilege to be able to come from where we come from and then be in, in these other worlds that uh, I, I'd have never experienced, right? I'd, I'd have never had that opportunity really to, really? to, mm. to walk in, in, in these worlds that mm. I walk in. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's sort of really special. Mm. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You're a local lass, are you? Wellington originally or? Palmerston North Palmerston Yep. Yep. Palmy. Big shout out to Yeah. <laughs> I was just there and just it's such an easy, easy living one or two. Yeah, right. Um, but I, 
we, I lived in Tokyo for a few years yeah. and then coming back to Wellington, it, it does just, there was no wind in Tokyo. I think just because <laughs> of the, yeah, the topography and the yeah. buildings the hills, and everything. Yeah. Sorry, and so, and I missed it. I really missed that sense of freshness and blowing out the cobwebs and um, and coming back to Wellington and just saying, oh my God, we are so blessed in this place, hashtag blessed, of that we could go kayaking at lunchtime or walking in the hills and and the nature is so close and, and we can, around Island Bay, you can see dolphins in the harbour and it's just, yeah. <laughs> and then sort of, yeah, 10 years later, you just get used to it again. But yeah. <laughs> actually, I still just say to my kids when we're driving around the coast of this, yeah. is, we're so, it's so beautiful here. Yeah. We're so sure. lucky and to try and maintain that as much as possible. But it is, it's a good size and you can get, but I do miss sometimes, I'm, I'm starting to get to your feet again of that um, yeah. sense of just cult cultures, experiencing different cultures and then how that sense of, I love that when you travel and you go into a pub and you just don't know what the crack's going to be and that mm. you don't know who you're going to meet or what stories yeah. or where the night's going to take you or, or just the adventures and what you'll see and the food and all of that sort of fun stuff. Um, sort of starting to miss that. We haven't travelled since 2018 was the last time we went overseas. Right. And I think that exper experiencing and then coming back and appreciating what you've got as well is mm. so, mm. so good. Yeah, you were away for how long in Tokyo? Two Four years? and a half years. Four and a half, so a right, decent, yeah. a decent amount of time. What did you learn and brought back from that experience? What are your kind of experiential kind of tick boxes? Going, mm. Yeah, that's what I got from that. Because mm. um, it was with the consulate there, right? Yeah, New Zealand yeah the consulate. embassy, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it's hard being tall because I'd bang my head all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, yeah, you're a tall clothes, lady there. You go, been... Sorry, no clothes your size. No way, is that a... <laughs> you won't even get through the doorstep, no, dummy. <laughs> oh. yeah. um, uh, that sense of otherness was good, actually. Yeah. It was really good to get that. Yeah. Of just, um, just, especially if you go into some of the rural areas of people just staring at you because you're different and huge. <laughs> and um, had some fun experience, yeah, fun mm -hmm. of because you're the other, then you can, but um, people would move, um, and my husband's a bit, a bit, a uh, bit like you, DK, got a bit of, um, a bit gruff. But, but, yeah, and so yeah. just people would think he was a bit smelly, but he wasn't, but right. that, just that perception uh -huh. of anyone here, he's smelly, yeah, right. so therefore people would just move away on the subway or oh, other stuff, okay. and so it's good to experience some of that, of just being, mm judged because of what you look like, not because of what you are. Mm. Or we'd go into an onsen and you'd, you'd make sure you'd scrub three times over so that the old ladies would see that you'd really wash, but then they'd still all just get out of the pool if you got into it, just because wow. you're a, a dirty foreigner. That's not all Japanese, of course, but of course, that was but, just, yeah, yeah, some of the experiences. And so it was good to, um, but then in that otherness, then you have a, a massive freedom as well, which mm. was because you don't, you can't conform because you look so different yeah, yeah. and it's a very homogenous society. Mm. So then there's all, there was, so a lot of gaijin or then you can just get this total freedom to, because you've got no ties, there's no history to you. You can be anything or anyone. So that mm. creativity side, I just, I loved Japan. It was mm. just amazing. And that you could, ex we just explore, well, this was all pre-kids as well. So we would explore different, um, neighborhoods yeah. every weekend and
find beautiful printmaking shops that yeah. 200 years 300 years old with course, beautiful yeah. fabrics and and just and and the food is just magnificent because it's very specialized that mm. you have a shop that sells one thing like eel and yeah. it's the only thing it does and it's very seasonal and that you know opens and then you have and that seasonality of the food was just mm. fantastic yeah. um, and they really treasure nature and and that sense of wonder of so like an apple you'd get it and you'd really note the color and the variety and then you chop mm. it open and they'd talk about the hachimitsu the honey around the core and you'd mm. and so you don't eat a lot but you really value whatever it is in front of you and special, right? yeah and i think that's something whether it's how in countries where food is, has been scarce, especially war-torn countries, then that value of food, mm. and maybe in New Zealand for some, it is abundant or we can grow a lot, but then we don't really value necessarily, mm. kind of really see what's there. And, and that seeing when things are in season, how awesome they are and not to expect them there all year round, but that to really sort of make the most of them while they're there. Which we do kind of with mussels and or oysters suppose, or yeah. cherries and fijoas and what you're yeah. describing is just um it creates a sense of wonder mm. and curiosity into the normal day-to-day -day of just experiencing an apple like mm. you just said and versus have an apple here buy it eat it mm. and, bun. and it's like that is a different experience mm. and through the lens of other people's uh you just get taken to different worlds i remember being in Finland at a gig in Helsinki, random, and they took me out. The people who paid me uh, took me out for a, a meal in the evening, and we went to a, a Lapish restaurant mm. from Lapland mm. food, which again Is it reindeer. Like, What's the? I had reindeer uh -huh. for the first time because I thought I'm never going to be in a Lapish mm. restaurant again. I'm going to eat Rudolph. Mm. Very nice, but they brought a cookser for me. No, cooks, uh, if you don't know, uh, right, it's like a, a wooden, big mug. That's how I would describe mm. it. It's a carved, big, how wooden big? mug. Like, yeah, about okay. that big, right? Yeah. You can have bigger ones, you can have small ones, but it's usually about a big wooden mug, right? Yeah. Big handle for your finger. And then they explain, like, how sacred this is, because mm. a cooksa is not just something you have food and drink out of and, you know, just eat. It's a utility, but it also can be you utilitarian in terms of like getting rid of some snow ah. in your hut and stuff yeah. like that it's yeah. just a total thing so you revere it but when you're given a, and gifted a cook so you can't take it without first asking for its permission oh so i had a ceremony <laughs> of i think it was some li cherry liqueur uh -huh. poured into it switched around in a certain way they talked me through it then i had to drink from it and turn it a couple of times very mm. much like japanese tea ceremony mm. right and then invite it home with me or mm. seek permission to own it. Mm. Because yes, it used to be a living thing and now it's going to be part of you. Mm. So you have to have that permission. Mm. Yeah. So again, it's just simple things like mm. someone giving you a mug. Oh, that's nice, you know, a gift. But no, 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 no. Mm. Now you've got to learn There's what the, this mug means for us. Yeah. It's beautiful. It just like expands your consciousness yeah. of story and, yeah. and things and place mm. within that and meaning. Mm which is kind of what we're, we're all after. We, we do have, we have it within New Zealand. Mm. We, we, we do have this within different places mm. from like customary fishing for Māori mm. to, to what, whatever those are. I, I, I think sometimes uh, Westerners, us 
we we lack some and and you, there'll be welsh stuff like that there's sure. like mm. stuff in yorkshire that's like that mm. you see mm. and it, and there there is all these things i also think that travel is i mean i i love japan been to finland mm. been to a reindeer uh farm like uh lo- love travel and it is amazing how you see these different things. But mm. I also think, like we talked about earlier, you also get blinded to the stuff that's around mm. you. Yeah. Like, and everything, well, if something's more exotic, mm. it's more interesting, interesting, right? Yeah. It's more, yeah. it has more value sometimes or mm. how, because we get so uh, used to the stuff yeah. that's around us sometimes. Mm. Or it can yeah. elevate. Or yeah. it can elevate when we come back from travel yes. and go, actually, well, look, yeah. we, we look at so these lucky. things, look at mm. these things that yeah, we can celebrate. Yeah. Mm. So, so it has that duality when you mm. go away and come back, right? Mm. Yeah. I think, cause I think um, one of the things is that sense of ritual yeah. and that we do, you're right, we do. And that's what I'm loving and that I think it feels like we're starting to understand that more and bringing that mataranga yeah. Māori and understanding yeah. more of us being exposed to that or, or opening up to that because yeah. of course and um and that sense of slowness and slowing down to appreciate what is happening and that change of season or the change of the food coming in yeah. Yeah. and actually stopping and because in japan well when i was there which is 10 12 years ago now um it, it was an anathema anathema to takeaway coffees wasn't a big thing or you would never eat an apple on the street because you would stop you sit and you have your food it was seen as being a bit rude it's like eating in your school uniform or something that you weren't allowed to it was just not a dumb thing that you would eat on the go you stop and you enjoy food Mm. and it's that sort of slowing down a bit and but that sense of ritual around Mm. the change of seasons i think is so Good and of course, yeah, Maori do that, Matanga Maori, and I think, and that's what I love with the Matariki coming in yeah. that we actually do mark that and bringing, starting to change our cultural cues into the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, I, I totally. Think that's, yeah. So, why well, it's like Easter is a spring mm. solstice. Mm. We're not going to spring, <laughs> you know. Yeah. There's all these things mm. that we've inherited mm. that that I think we're, um, we're starting to build our own pers- perspectives mm. on. And like, like for, for Westerners, we've been here a couple of hundred years, right? They're all, all these other places mm. that we're talking about are like older, mm-hmm. older for us mm. places with more, more history for us, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think what I loved about Japan is, is that the idea that everything's art, mm. like there's an there's an art, mm. like, like deep craft. No matter it? what you're doing, yeah, you it's do like it well. you can be sweeping mm. the railway, mm. like, and we do it to the highest level that we mm. possibly can. Mm. If we're, you know, gardening, we, we've got tiny little scissors, and there's twelve of us, and we're and we're, <laughs> um, and we're shaping the thing yeah. because the respect for respect. everything. Whatever job you do, you do it well. There's a massive yeah. amount of respect, and mm. obviously within that culture, there's mm. there, there's reasons for mm. that, and there is, and and it reflects back into culture and politics and everything mm. else. They it makes the place what it is, right? Mm. Just like the stuff that happens here makes the place what it is. So mm. going to these different places, mm. you are able to like compare and contrast and get excited about things and come back and go this place is amazing there's, mm. there's so much cool stuff here but 
I also think we're so far away from anywhere mm. that we feel that we have to go somewhere else because mm. it, it does feel like it does feel like you're far away from anywhere. Whereas when you're in the UK, you can just jump on a flight and be in Rome in like an hour mm. and thirty minutes, and that's why Kiwis have been over there because they can go into Europe and do all this yep. stuff. Yep. So yeah, that the that idea of all, all these things that wrap together, but yeah, that that's still feeling that need to go somewhere else yeah. to come back as well. Mm. I think that's just innate in anybody who has a little bit of playfulness about their their world and a little bit of hunger for curiosity and it's, and want to it's, experience something different. Mm. And it's filling your kete, right? It's yeah. like you go and it helps your creativity because you yeah. go and get it's Being like formed. a big vacuum, right? Yeah. You're sucking all this stuff. Yeah. You suck it all in and then it comes out in different where all your influences, wherever you've been, who you've spoken to, that's what yes. creates the work, right? Whatever you're doing. Totally. But that's how that stuff like represents itself. Yeah. Mm. And for me, I don't know about you when you travel. I I've been challenged lately um when I travel, because uh, I'm travelling with someone else now. And they're very much like, I like to go and see things and do things. Yeah, right. Whereas I'm like, I very much like to go and see people. Yeah. <laughs> like I, and do you I, like a plan? Do you like, I'm to, not, or do you like? Yes, I know. Uh, like, but I'm more, I, I don't mind seeing things, uh, but I prefer to meet people. Uh, so yeah. if I go to New York, for example, yeah. I'll straight away hit up my pals in New uh -huh. York. Yeah. To hang out to go to somewhere yeah. versus, no, I'm going to New York to do something and see something. Uh, yeah. And it's like, oh, that's interesting because I always, I didn't never had that challenge before. Yeah. And it's humans that make the world for me <laughs> rather than places. Yeah. You know, yeah. So it's people over places. <laughs> and it does fill my cup, like uh, you say, because yeah. I get informed. And yeah. then I. And I'm, do you like them to take you to their favorite places? Yes. Or, yeah. or just say, I'm all yours. You yeah. know, yeah, show me what's good, right? Yeah. As yeah. long as I'm with like, you, I'm happy. Be your local, right? Yeah. Yeah. Always saying, where do you want to meet rather than me saying, uh -huh. you know what I mean? Because they're going to choose somewhere they like. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be good because they're from there. Because yeah. I was recently in Berlin for the first time. Uh -huh. And everybody I met, or I'd never met before, I was always going to them, even though it meant me getting lost. Mm. Yeah. It, was, it would have been easier just to say, I'm, I'm in this hotel, could you just come and meet in the lobby? Mm. And I'm sure they would have, because yeah. it's easy to get around Berlin, as you know. And, mm. But it's like, no, okay, I'll come and find it. Are you sure? It's like, it's off the, yeah, I'll be fine. Just ask people. It's good. Yeah, it's awesome. part of the journey, right? Uh, how about you, Chris? Are you a planner, or do you like to? I, c I can cut it either way. Uh -huh. You're right. Like when you have children, there's a certain amount of planning that needs to be done, right? Yes. When you're on your own, you can be like, okay, like, a bit more do you just like, or, or, or if it's a work trip sometimes, so you've yeah. got like, right, you're meeting people and you're doing things or whatever mm. it might be. Yeah, building it out to the potential, yeah. Uh, I've just been reading, oh, I've got about seven books open at my bedside at the moment, and it's always like, which one am I reading? Which one's the, which one should I be reading? But, uh, William Morris wrote a travel diary of, of when he went oh. to Iceland. Uh -huh. Okay. So, so William Morris, uh, uh, what, art, it's naturist as well. Art, uh, arts and crafts, mm. arts and crafts right. period, like, like yeah. 18 something, V&A in England was starting yeah, to yeah. get started. Mm. There's, there's, he tiled one of the rooms. He had like a big wallpaper company. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and, he, he had two occasions where he he went to Iceland ju just on a just to travel through Iceland. So got a, went with one of his friends, hired a boat or whatever it was, went to uh, 
sailed into Iceland, met a guide, had like ponies and stuff, and then they went to Reykjavik and, and, then, uh, and then on from um, Reykjavik. And he, he wrote a diary of it all. Uh, and it's just this fascinating diary of, of just what it's like to travel and like this, these feelings that he had and this uncomfortable, um, they, the discomfort of like what he was going through because he was very used to like having mm. his, his routines at home and what he was doing and he uh, knew everything. Okay. And, and, and then he's like on these horses and having to catch um, food to eat and stuff mm. and, and no one speaks English. And uh, <laughs> it's just a really lovely sort of journey of, uh, journey, like mm. j just a literal journey, but you can read it and go, yeah, mm. travel is like that. There's, mm. um, the woman that wrote it also put some notes in the margin, like summarizing parts of it. And it's like, this is what this means. So there's these okay, lovely notes like. down the side <laughs> going, oh yeah, it is like that. Mm. It's really, you can feel really weird and, mm. and it is about you're not at home but mm. you're not at the place yet and you're mm. in this in interstices yeah. where that's where the travel is right that is yeah. where the mm. that is where the beauty is and lots of travel writers talk talk about this it isn't the destination mm. it's the journey, journey to get there and the yeah. people you meet and the accidental conversations mm. and missing your flight yes. and meeting someone else and getting a cab up the, whatever else yeah. it is so that mm. uh it's it's Quite a good discovery, book. yeah. But it's but it's not good enough that I'm still reading it. I've got like seven yes, others. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I think that says more about you than the book. Yeah. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> no offense. But I wanted to bring up something as a topic because I obviously went through your LinkedIn's and I wanted to talk to you, both of you about models mm. uh, or frameworks or ways of doing something mm. because obviously in your work you probably rely and I've seen a lot of your stuff about different models that you're constantly trying things on like hats let's try this and develop things out and you tweet a lot about that and then I thought from your transformation transformation role you probably have to have again a suite of tools mm. because one models or tool is not going to fit mm. depending on who you across the table from you. Mm. So I'd love to just get your take on kind of where you're, what is in your bag of tricks at the mm. moment? What do you rely on and have some robustness of reliability on when it comes to models? Mm. Do you want to go? Okay. chocolate for that. That yeah. was a good question, wasn't <laughs> I it? Throw that out I, there. I can just throw loads out, but I'm like, I probably talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, um, I, like what you were saying before, any model, that it's a framework and it's an opener for how you start to, to find the edges of things that are difficult. I did a LinkedIn about my um, making hot cross buns and how I was using that as an analogy of sometimes it just feels like this big mess that's all gloopy and you're mm. trying to frame it up and it just keeps sticking to your hands and you're <laughs> going through glue, but that you have to let the process, trust in the process, and eventually, just through more pressure, a bit of rest, more pressure, and just then the proteins will form and it starts to gel. And then you get a nice smooth dough and you put it in the oven and you've got something delicious that's better when it's shared with other people as well. But that, uh, yeah, so the frameworks, um, one that often uses is in terms of the different approaches to a problem, but especially around behaviour change, but that reset model of re regulatory intervention, uh, economic or um, 
um, financial incentives, social norming, that what your peers are doing will actually have a huge amount of influence. Okay. Um, as, and then uh, the environment around you, that sort of social nudging stuff, and then mm. technology and what tools you've got available. Oh, but quite often um, you meet, say, engineers, and they'll think it's just if we put this mm. button. I used to work in the energy sector as well, and we just need people to get this information and they'll do Nothing. something. Yeah. yeah, but then if you... If your family or your friends aren't doing it, then you're probably unlikely to pick stuff up or where would you? And so that social norming, I think, is often overlooked. I think there needs to be more social um, social science being brought into how we're attacking some of our problems. Mm. Um, and then often the economic lever is, is can be very powerful, but can often be a bit blunt as well, or can be a bit opaque as well. Oh, sure. So that that's one of the models that I use. But of course, it's then and then looking if we've got a suite of um, options for people, because somebody might respond better to the economic incentives and other people might respond better to technology, but that there's enough options so wherever you are on that spectrum you're going to have something that will start to help you move in the way you, that mm. you want to. It's one of the models I've got. I love that research. Have you heard that one? Mm. That's a good one. What about you? Just finished. Good timing. Hey Charlotte, good timing. Well, if I put my event hat on, or my creative producer hat, mm. it, it's always through the lens of the human, or the participant, or the 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 watcher, right? Mm. So when when I used to do TEDx or creative leadership, the events I used to run, in a sense, we used to literally create two events. We create the obvious operational model for the stage experience mm. and the people that curate and go on the stage. And obviously, it's a big Venn diagram here because they need to overlap mm. in influencer. But the other one, which most people forget when it comes to event production, is creating a, an event for the delegates. Mm. And they think, oh, mm. we do the event, which we curate people, and uh, we make sure it looks pretty, and we might have some catering and stuff, and that's it, right? It's like, well, you did about 5% of what you should be really thinking about. Mm. And it's the journey mapping. Is the simple approach mm, yeah. is like let's look at all the touch points mm. that this delegate is going to have when it comes mm. to experiencing the event mm. and most people would start oh yeah when they arrive mm. no the touch point is right back to when they search see the email or the advert someone mm. forwards it on or the website there's going to be a couple of touch points what's the flavor of that what's the experience they're going to have but yeah once it comes to the event there's something mm. called crossing the threshold which is an old theater term mm which is a beautiful one in terms of event production, which most people miss, which is historically in theatres, they talk about people entering the theatre space as crossing the threshold. Mm. Because in, and it needs to be elaborate, mm. a theatre entrance, mm. which most theatres historically mm. used to be grand old affairs yeah. and lit beautifully, very different, but mm. beautiful. And lots of red velvet and gold. There's that and lots of like beautiful marble staircases yeah. or floors with mm. different light situations yeah. and ornateness to it. Because what you're supposed to do is suspend your belief mm. as you enter the theatre. It's supposed mm. to be yeah. theatrical and mm. enter in a different world because now you're going to watch people who you, with a little bit of intelligence, can step and go, oh, they're acting. Mm. You need to suspend your belief yeah, to have this experience. And that was really the cornerstone of my event production is thinking about oh, the crossing the threshold. It's like when people arrive... We have to factor that in deeply. 
what is their experience and then before it and after it as well it's a journey for them all for them all and there's going to be and there's got to be enough space within our journey for it to flow but also to have a little bit of abrasion mm. you need them to buff up up against each other mm. and i stole this from another event i used to go to in montana called hatch and it was intentionally mm. small only about 120 140 people mm-hmm. uh invite only and it was in te- a lot of white space in the agenda. Yeah. In other words, nothing programmed. Mm. And talking to the guy who run it, uh, big shout out to the Arrow, um, he said, no, that's by design. From a perspective, we want people to meet each other more than once, more than twice, maybe three times. Mm. First time you meet someone at a conference, like, hey, who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? Cool. Second time, oh, you're that guy from Yorkshire. Mm. We had a chat. Or that lady who does that transformation stuff cool and then you get a, tell me but i was having a think did you mm. like the last speaker we get a little bit deeper third time is hey jenny how are you doing again i want to introduce yeah. you to dave over here because yeah. i think you'd really gonna mm. boom trust mm. you know relationships mm. are formed from that mm. and not enough people consider the model of that mm. kind of abrasion as a, as a mm. tool to to connect people to more than once you got to rub Mm. shoulders together more than once to build up that deeper trust mm. and then invariably people after it will go that's amazing i made so many contacts mm. by design you know kept this small mm. kept this tight in places so you could see each other often mm. yeah. yeah so that was something that came to mind when you asked me mm. how about you yeah which one are you going to choose yeah what's your go-to I th- uh, that there is no. I, I've, I've, I've <laughs> seen no on other podcasts. <laughs> on, I've seen on other versions of this. Like, what's your thing? Thank what's the you. one? It's like I don't have one. That's cool. I don't have one. Oh. I, don't, I, 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 um, I. It's. I think the work we do. I. Th- I sort of call it bricolage, in a way. So that sort of French concept that you, mm. you, you, you have all different things and sort of smorgasbord them together. Yeah. And it's and it's that type of approach. Mm. Like you know, I mean, t- twenty two years of doing stuff. Mm. Yeah. You go well. I've got, I've got all this stuff. Understanding the context is the most important thing. Yeah. In order to then, well, what mm. are we going to apply? Like what out of this? All these things that mm. we've got. Where do we need to get to? What are we going to? Mm. What's going to work in the culture of the organisation? Mm. Gotcha. Because you can go oh, look, look at this futures tool, and everyone just glazes over. Or you can go look mm. at this really practical thing that's going to get you something quite quickly like that. Oh, that's really good. Mm. So then, okay, we're doing that, but how can we stretch you down the line in, into mm. thinking a, a bit more differently mm. when we start to build some momentum or whatever that might be, right? So it's, it's always a... Uh, and, and it's what people are... It's how courageous people are sometimes in terms of what they want to push. Mm. Nice. So if... So if if someone's like, we want to do something new and exciting mm. and stuff, it's like, we can do that. Mm. <laughs> we can do new and exciting, but some people are like, we just want to do this bit. And if this bit goes really well, then we might do this bit. And then, so it's... Right, a more it's, gentle yeah. approach. Yeah, so it's always, it's always context specific. It can go from strategy, tools, uh, futures tools, design tools, research, okay. like w- whatever it is. But it's okay. just like being, I think the skill is curating it all. Mm. Mm to make it work for the client and for the project and for the participants within the project. Mm. And a, a bit like what you're saying, right? It's, it's almost the curation and the experience of the thing mm. is as important as just going, well, this is where 
we just do that to get to this outcome. Mm. It's like, no, there's, there's a whole load of stuff that happens within yeah. the project uh, and a whole lot of experiences that other people have and take away and go, oh, I, mm. I, I went and did this thing. I didn't really want to go. I got told I had to go and we did it and it was mm. really cool and, and, and I brought this thing back and this thing back. Mm. And when you start doing that within organisations or for individuals or whatever it is, that's when you start to get some traction, right, mm. of, of people going, it's not just a means to an end, it's been thought through, it's been considered, it's mm. been curated, it's been designed as a project as much as it is mm. just heading towards an outcome, right? I'm a, sorry. Oh, I was okay. just going to say, I think there's that cool space of um, where, like you were saying, with that abrasion or the friction and the then needing to um, create and there's the design thinking or the, or the frameworks, but then having enough white space or time to just let something else happen. Mm. And you can't control all of that, but that's yeah. the awesomeness about humans when you get together and then the yeah. the whole is greater than the sum of its parts yeah. and you start to see and you get an outcome that you didn't think you were going to or, or it leads in that and that's where the creativity comes in yeah and you start to and that that's where I think that, that yeah I just love that when you can actually let go a bit and see something else come forth trust and, and trust and is it yeah. about intuition something about mm. intuition in there because a certain point now you're probably been exposed enough to situations and have a level of understanding around frameworks and processes yeah. to then intuit what is mm. needed. And that's hard then to both communicate, why are we doing it this way? And you're like, mm -hmm. I, I, it's obvious to me, but it's hard to translate mm -hmm. it out. So, mm -hmm. and I'm sure in your work as well, sometimes you're just sat in these meetings, mm -hmm. sat in these experiences, sat in these kind of, um, groups of humans and you just intuit a way forward mm. and I don't think we talk about intuition as a as a skill mm. set mm. enough as mm. humans or at least we don't celebrate it mm. I don't hear anybody going oh that person is very intuitive mm. very mm. good you know we talk a lot about tacit knowledge mm. tacit so, knowledge so, so like the stuff that builds up in experience that you can't codify right you okay. can't tell people oh, this is how I think this is going to be and how I know it's mm. like it's just what we were talking about earlier on, right? All your experiences, mm. everything, that you, and like all the events that you've done and the events that you've been to and everything else comes together. And sometimes you just know stuff. Mm. Yeah. And you don't know how you know, know it, it necessarily, but mm. it, and, it, and it is intuition. Like yes. that's, that's part of it, right? Uh, so, so we talk a lot about the, how can we bring that out within, how can we celebrate that stuff that people just know? Mm. And I think to your point, it's experience, mm. it's like knowledge, it's time, time on the, time on the plate. Time as on they, the tiles. Yeah, time on the tiles or at the crease or mm. whichever country you're in. Like, yes. Uh, because <laughs> you can do English. A, a design thinking workshop just run by some consultants who step mm. through five processes and people are going to come out like, are disappointed probably because they're not they don't get the full context they mm. don't get like they people might not be reading the room like just being able to read the room and, and go you know what we're not going to do that thing mm. next yeah. we're going to do this thing because everyone's in this space mm. they're not ready there's something different that's rolled up or, or rolled out we need to adapt and we need to do something else and this is what's going to make it successful mm. and it is that sort of mm. knowledge experience i mean i'm 
Mm. Yeah, as uh, as you start to get a bit older and a, a bit more long in the tooth and have seen a lot and done a lot, yeah. you are that's what that's what people pay for. Mm. It's like that stuff yeah. comes. Yeah. It's like well, I can apply that and I can save you mm. about you know two hundred hours or. Mm. $100,000 or whatever it is because we'll be working in a way where we bring all this experience to the fore. Like mm. Have you also heard of Green tri Triangle Blue Square? Have you heard of that? Nope. No, but I'm, pi I'm trying to picture it going. Look <laughs> at where yeah. I am. I'm there. Green Triangle. <laughs> is this yeah. a trick? <laughs> is it so overlap? Is it, which one is in? Well, that's, so um, that's in another group I'm in. Um, Tehono used this of mm. Blue Square is BAU current systems and, okay. and practices and green triangle is um, cutting edge innovation okay. the yeah. challenges yeah and um, you if they're it, the idea is you release the green triangle and then what is innovation then will eventually become blue square or yeah. can do but if they're too far apart from each other then it breaks and you don't get that interflow. Yeah. But if they're too close, you don't get the challenger enough. So it's, yeah. and so there's a concept of then actually physically or um, theoretically creating specifically a green triangle, mm. be yeah. it unit or people designed to do that to keep testing your gotcha. blue yeah. square. Um, and then there's different theories about whether in-house or out of house is yeah. better yeah. and all of those Absolutely. sorts of things. Yeah. But it's quite, interesting then of uh, been thinking to of how far ahead do those innovators and challenges get um before the blue square people start to feel very threatened but versus feeling inspired yeah and mm. it's that um that creative tension as well yeah and just on that model you know we've had lots of precursors to all that like the skunk works being the obvious mm. one you know yep. quite rock and roll mm. we had <laughs> What JPL, you know, J mm. propulsion lab, how that started in. Um, in what's Google, Google X, and the Google X, yeah, yeah the moonshot moon projects yeah, and stuff yeah. like that, and uh, the one was it the one out of five days you can work on a personal project in Google yeah. and stuff like mm. that. Twenty percent time. Mm. Again, yeah. so the intrapreneurship versus the outer entrepreneurship okay. yeah. and yeah. stuff models. Mm. Yeah. What I find interesting is you are speaking from a very uh, both traditional and policy-led mm. space. Mm. So the challenges that you have are also confounded mm. by politics with a capital P because mm. of your, the cycles that mm. we're in, the three to four year, whatever, mm. however you time it. Mm. And then add to that is the politics with the small P, I would imagine, of different factions within mm. the agricultural sector, which I can imagine you are lots of verticals, Got the meat, the dairy, the others, and all of, so on and so forth, and then probably a lot of Horizontals. horizontals mm. across that distributions and stuff, farmers, and then the human side. How do you kind of look at agriculture as a? How do you see it really to deal with it? Mm. How do you deal with agriculture as a transformation officer within MPI? Mm. Like, because it's too mm. big for me to consider. Mm. So I'm. Yeah. <laughs> not that I have to, but yeah. I'm intrigued by how you do it, yeah, how you see it, like, you know? I think to what we were talking about before is trying to put the human at the heart of it, as cliche right. as that might be, but right. that um, 
of why people do what they do and not to just, I think, mm. compared to other sectors I've worked in, there's a sort of clumping of everyone, like there's the farmer or the agriculture sector where it's a vast array of different people who are doing it for a variety of different reasons, just mm. like we all purchase differently or think differently as well. And so then trying to, um, again, with that suite of options of if the outcome is X, how do we co-design more to find what aligns with that value set to reach okay. that outcome? Mm -hmm. And that's been part of the challenge of having the time um, to do that co-design, but also that fundamental premise of accepting that the outcome is needed to get to, which mm. is part of the challenge as well. Mm. Um, and needing to, to, to think of different ways of trying to reach the audience and, and, um, and meet them where they are mm. versus where we yeah. want them to be. Mm. And so having some of that grace or, um, but time is often a challenge. Right, of uh, and co you know, COVID and other things, mm. but, um, and, um, but also where um, where I've been thinking too is that you've got people who want to produce food, people who want to manage the land or grow stuff on the land, um, and people who want to use the land, which might be very different to managing the land for a long term or other. Okay. And so how you approach each of those then is a what entry point they might have into it as well, because not everyone who's a farmer is interested in growing food necessarily. It's mm. a it's a livelihood, but some are very motivated by growing food. Some want to leave the land in a better condition. So mm. I think it's about that trying to understand the, um, yeah, meet people where they are, the value set that they bring, so that it tries to then trying to get less binary on it versus um, and become mm. more what are the things that are common versus the things that are different. Mm. Okay, yeah. yeah. But all that within a regulatory and policy framework. Yeah, when there's a deadline and like we've got <laughs> as well. <laughs> Thank you. Can you give me your feedback on this? Yes. For sure. Or, yes. But sometimes those regulatory things are actually a lot further away than we might think they are, okay. that mm. they're within a generation to change or by 2030 to change or by 2050. Yeah. So there's actually a bit more time in it, but it's that momentum towards and getting the pathway right. And some people don't want to start until mm. they know that you've spelt out every step on the journey. Of course, yeah. And, other, and because you don't want to do something that might come around to, you might get a wrong direction. And that because it's biological systems, it's, it's harder to to make those long-term investments. A bit like the energy sector, you know, you've got to have that security of knowing what you're investing in. Mm. Um, and other people are more willing to leap in, depending on the value set that they've got, you know, mm. I'll give it a go, I'll keep iterating, and anything that I do, as long as it's slightly better than before, it's going to be okay. So there's all sorts of different things. And it, and it also depends on the timeline and the approach, right? Because mm. If we're building a piece of infrastructure, like if 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 we're building a highway or whatever, we can't agile our way through a highway. Mm. It's like there are there's things that we've got to do that we know it's, yeah. it's a complicated thing. There's best practices. There's stuff that we need to plan for over a period, and it has to be delivered like this. Gotcha. Compared to figuring out well, where can we be mm. more 
agile or, yeah. or prototype things mm. and test things out and mm. experiment and where is the balance of stuff mm. that we're working with and, mm. and it's been able to create and see the need for that balance and not just go agile mm. sort it all out <laughs> or whatever else it is so and I, I also wonder when you think about agriculture I wonder how many other sectors have a sense of self and identity wrapped mm. into that mm. because when you think about farmers and you think about like fifth fourth fifth mm. generational farmers living ju just like your uh, um, grandma that you're speaking about earlier and she's she's hitting a hundred living in the same house that she's yes. lived in for a hundred years there's that connection to places and mm. their livelihoods and experience and land for people that you know like energy I, I wonder mm. if people have the same I know people love energy and they like have businesses and, and infrastructure or whatever it is but they're not I don't think there's yeah. the same like connection to a self-identity yeah. or, or the, yeah. and the identity is your work yeah. as well and you're on it all the time yeah it's it's very very different and and then there's lots of other stuff happening in the world yeah. and there's mm. external change that's coming in. Mm. And there's, there's all this cascading change. Mm. And there's a bigger growing literacy as well. When yeah. you say the world, there's also this kind of abstract notion of climate change that's mm. become yeah. very, very real, but for many people are still conceptually maybe a bit distant from. Mm. And or we, we don't want to accept it. Or that. Well, it's on our doorstep. Or it, you could happening. be pointed at. Yeah. for being part of the problem rather mm. than part of the solution yeah. and suddenly you become quite defensive. Yeah. There's a lot of things, uh, a lot of human issues mm. with agriculture versus not just, but it's just fascinating that you got that job and I know we met last year when you were delivering a, a talk around your 2030 better world plan. Is that, Fit for a better world. Thank you. Fit for a better world thing and you got a roadmap for mm. that. Like the what I loved about your talk there was that you laid out what most people don't even understand the difference between vision and strategy and, and outcomes, right? Most people kind of lump all that in as a plan. It's like eh, they need to be fit and they need to be also quite fluid at times because mm. we might not get there. So yeah. really loved that approach that you took to deconstruct it for us. But on that point, I think it's, it's quite a, I can imagine for the industry, they look at that and for many people they're so, an open arm invitation to play with you, mm. right? There's an MPI as an organization. Oh, brilliant. They finally, or they might be like, this is something cool we can get behind. Versus, well, oh, okay, they, that's my livelihood. Or mm. what they're doing is challenge. Like, that's two ends of a vet, of the similar spectrum there mm. of emotion. Like, how do you manage? How do you consider, not mm. manage, because mm. how do you consider that? Mm. Because, yeah. I'm sure you have, but I'm just asking from, a, again, a human perspective. There's going to be upset and yep. also elation. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that's it of, um, again, what I say to myself and others, because otherwise you just go mad trying to make it all perfect and you can't and because everyone will, will go through their own journey through this and... Of course, everyone, and it won't all fit perfectly because, as we talked about, the future will constantly change, and and that's what the future or what's better will always constantly mm. change as well. Um, and with that, um, what I was referring to as well is that some people will naturally identify with 
the workforce and, and making it a better place for people to work and want to attract people into the sector and be and be awesome bosses and leaders and um, and that's their focus. Other people it will be the environment and other people it will be running a really efficient system and making mm. um, making a return. And so how do, and finding enough touch points that as long as it's whatever motiv motivates you because yeah. no one is everything and then but mm. find as and that motive whatever you're doing in your own way as long as it's still improving and we're getting better because there's we're we're pretty darn good in the world and it's that recognizing ourselves like we're talking about we don't have to go overseas to 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 know to the new to the new but there's always stuff we can improve on and that's where there are some elements and where um and people do look to new zealand as that exemplar yeah. um but we can't rest on our laurels as well so how do we keep that we've maintaining that space for ourselves um, and w what's been really interesting lately is talking um, with some companies who are um, at the cutting edge of some of this stuff, doing some really, really cool things. And just how even as a, um, you know, farmers think the world is moving fast and um, it's certainly increasing in speed in terms of what's changing, what customers are expecting. And But then even if you're a retailer, how what customers are wanting and expect it they're they're having to adapt and change pretty fast so it's not any one element of the supply chain is having the load of the changes the changes are coming through everyone on the supply chain and that if you're a retailer and you're not having a good web platform and you're not got a good um, threshold experience yeah. and giving that whole woe to go experience from buying it the beautiful packaging it might arrive in or other things then uh, you're not and and how you're showing what your own um, sustainability um, story is to your customers you might not be keeping up with what they will need and they were saying um, that they we think of who it's that um, hourglass we've got lots of farmers growers producers at the bottom but then how much of the world's trade, especially in food and agriculture, is, is controlled by about eight big entities. Wow. Okay. And how they're the ones now setting the rules faster than governments. So this isn't um, necessarily a government-led thing or even a UN WTO-led thing. The WTO's been stifled in its rule setting for right. a while. Yeah. But actually the rules that uh, Walmart... Nestle, Danone, Unilever, mm. um, oh, there's a company that's name I've forgotten who own, um, they supply Icebreaker, but New Balance, Nike, mm. um, the, the rules that they are asking for in terms of animal welfare, um, sustainability platforms, mm. um, human ethics, um, supply chain, gender representation through their supply chain is, is moving the demands faster. So actually how big big that chain is mm. now and that then is who you supply the product to, which is going to be, and, and so governments needing to keep, and what then governments do will actually help reinforce New Zealand's position mm. in that space. But coming back to the day 2030, and you mentioned 2050 as well, I mm. think that's probably significant for carbon zero, is it? Mm. Yes, and yeah. those policies around yeah. there. Cool, like how far are you going because as a futures practitioner yourself mm. as well, like I know you're usually constrained by both the client and, and your own thinking, but mm. you know, 
the, the, some of the stuff that you're dealing with have cycles of, mm. like you said earlier, just simple mm. seasonal cycles, but we've also got uh, restrictive cycles, as I understand, about how much mm. the earth can actually produce a certain amount of food and things, and we're getting constrained on that to mm. a certain degree. How far in the future does your transformation thinking mm. go in when it comes to this space? Yeah, so we're on the to 2030 in terms of the planning at the moment but of course that's now seven years away which mm. isn't that long um and then that yeah so it's interesting i've been doing some work on climate change adaptation and we were thinking do you do 2030 2050 or even 2080 mm. in terms of the cycles and then the investments of 30-year investments and things to right. to start thinking through but that felt that 2080 was too far ahead for any anybody to really make any decisive actions on because mm. you're not it's too far away that you're not so what's constant or near enough that you're going to to think what i do now will actually i can see the outcomes of that um uh yeah so it's it's okay. on that 2030 pathway Fair one. yeah and okay. then it would keep iterating beyond that and something you wrote mm. recently about the uh, I, wrote I always get nervous when people say that because I'm like, what, what am I writing? Well, you write a lot. And it's a, it's a nice thing. I think you were quoting someone else, so maybe you can blame someone else for this. I blame. When you were yeah. talking about depictions versus predictions. Yeah, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. As two mm. different things, actually. Yeah. Mm. And this has some relevance here, wouldn't you say? Like depicting mm. versus predicting people want predictions mm. people want right. that this is how it's going to be mm. if you do this everything's going to be fine right. and that's you can't do that we're in a mm. complex you know volatile yes. uncertain yeah. <laughs> ambiguous environment mm. to yep. pull out the vuca mm. that, that people so love um yeah so uh, futures work is about creating change in the present Mm. And I think that's what people miss. Mm. It's like you do futures work to do things to make now. Some decisions, that, yeah. That's what you do. You don't do futures work to go. Well, maybe this is going to happen in yeah. the future. So, may, so maybe we should. Uh, what? It's like so. If we think in these new ways, what does that make us think about what we do now? Mm. Should that change? Should it be different? Mm. We. we uh, it's always. It's essential really t to go whenever you do this future stuff. It's like, so what could we change today? Should we? What could we change in a month? What could mm. we do differently in, in like six months? What's it going to take? Mm. Do we need to alter our trajectory? Because it comes back to strategy, right? Because futures work precedes strategy. Mm. When and and you know from from your previous guests, whether they're from um, Zealandia or they're from Wellington City Council, they're working mm. on different timescales, right? So yeah. from five hundred years to twenty-five generations to fifty or a hundred years. It's just back to context. What mm. is what's going to work? Well, the cowrie tree, and I was thinking about that. That's a good scale to work, with, and we can all relate to that because we're conservationists and we're in this place, and, and everyone buys into that, right? So you've got to find where that where that sort of it, sort of elasticity is that you get people into a space where they can go, mm. yes, this has value, but maybe twenty eighty doesn't as have value but if it did what might that look like why mm. what, what what would people change about what they do or what could they see differently or whatever that mm. might be mm. so yes yeah. it's it's always about coming back to 
well, if we see the world like this, what does it mean now? Mm. And, and, mm. and then being able to enact some of that stuff. Like there's no use doing futures work if you're not going to change something. Mm. Because that, that's the point. Mm. And isn't the Maori kind of approach to thinking about the future is that you walk backwards into your future? Mm. The idea that you should always look to your past and current situations to... I think, you don't know what the future is really going to bring. It's I think like, good futures work always does that. It, it, it should look historically. It should examine what's happening in the present. It should look forward. It, it shouldn't just be people standing on the stage going... I'm going to make you uh, absolutely paranoid about what's going to happen in the, in the future. It's going to be the singularity. It's going to be this, this. Mm. It's going to be Mars. We're all going to be on Mars anyway. Why are we even doing anything? Because yeah. we're going to be on Mars. It's like we get colonized by other people's visions of the future. Mm. So then how do we create uh, agency within people who have experience, who mm. know their who know their stuff inside out, agriculture, energy, whatever it is, how can we give them the tools to explore what they want to do and what they feel is valuable mm. and then get them to a place where they can start to, to, to actually see some of that mm. change happening. Mm. And yeah. 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 It's ask it's asking the questions of the what if on um, without having the status quo bias. Yeah. Um, and just seeing it all as loss rather than yeah. an investment into the future of, well, what yeah. if that happens, then what do we need to make now? It's it's really hard, isn't it, because of that. I've been, I think, with some of the challenges with agriculture, because it is, um, and this isn't just in New Zealand, this is in the UK and mm. America and Australia, Every, everyone is... Um, having these challenges of, of losses of identity, of different mm. types of identity. Mm. Um, also, of different seven, those seven different types of loss, have you heard that as well? Of um, I was reading Patrick Lencioni was uh, talking about this and it really resonated with me of there's loss of identity, okay. which um, if you are, I am this person, yeah. mm. and then suddenly I'm going to need to be farming something else, not yeah. this, yeah. And, and then, um, loss of status, which might be coming through, and then uh, loss of turf if land rights or land you know, starts to change, um, loss of money, and um, and of course where that goes. So it's really interesting. Of and then um, when you start identifying what might be causing that reaction, mm. then start to think, well, how do we create a different type of identity or a different type of status mm. and there's and where I think because sometimes it is a bit overwhelming because there's all mm. the swirl of the stuff and none of it is easy and none of it is obvious no. but there where I'm still energized in it is there's still you can see the the glimmer of hope in that pathway through mm. and that you can see where there is a way of of building that status up and building that identity but it's then having the confidence and taking some of those steps forward and how do we, and then how do we build that transition pathway to get through there? And it's also realising it's, it's not an end point. No, no, that's right. That's the thing, right? Yeah. And, and I think that it's almost like your role shouldn't be called transformation. It should be called evolution mm. or something like that mm. because 
it's not and then we don't transform to this point to this point and everything's fine it's we like well, the then there's the next thing <laughs> it's, it's exactly that thing of commoditization mm. right well uh, what once was new and novel mm. over time just becomes the commodity mm. so then it, the, there's constant cycles of change mm. so how do you set those expectations that actually mm. This is going to be constant and accelerating probably mm. now. So, mm. how do we build the capabilities and capacities in organisations mm. for individuals to be able to handle that mm. and like work with that? And it's mm. and it's a new set of skills. It's a new way to look at things. Mm. It's value on new things that we d didn't always value. Could you blow that out to what would an organisation rather than individuals? What does an organisation need to be, and what is its practices, and what is its policies? To be fluid enough to react to that change. This is like this is the ultimate challenge. Mm. I right, that's the ultimate. I think for like for how I've started to think about organisations recently is, um, yeah, I, I think strategy in a way is is people get confused by it because there's lots of sort of military history that's sort yeah. of wrapped up in it and it creates social hierarchy. Mm. So strategy is all about the top dogs figuring some things out in a, in, in a couple of days and getting the, getting the thing together, the visions and the values, and then we've got a plan and this is what, and it's handed down, right, to, mm. to, the, to the rest of the organization. And there's no buy-in, like, like people look at it and go, what the hell mm. are we talking about? Like, why are we using these words? What's this stuff that we're yeah. doing? I don't see how my stuff connects to what we're doing, right? Yeah. So I think with so much change, your organizations are almost more like organisms, right? Mm. There's not one culture in an organization. There's pockets of culture that coagulate to a, at different points of time. Like n none of it's uh, homogenous. It's like the, there's all these different things yeah. within and it, it's all happening. So, mm. so, so if you, and if you're dealing with strategy then it's like, Exactly like you said, the world is changing so quickly. How do we see these changes happening? Where are we experiencing them? What does that mean for our decision making? Mm. So it's almost like a system that you need to create in your organisation where people have these uh, capabilities and capacities that are guided and helped through because, again, it's change. Mm. People, uh, like every, we all need to change in ways that we aren't always comfortable with either. Some people are going to retire, that's cool. New people coming through with mm -hmm. new stuff, new mm -hmm. ideas. So then how, how do we create like a sensing organisation where, where decisions can be made understanding that complexity and change mm -hmm. and be able to go, you know those long-term things that we thought, we're confident enough that we're going to mm -hmm. change directions like, yeah. or, or move slightly because we can't rely on Mm. like where we think that the puck's going to be in like five years or whatever no. it is it's it's like it can I was, yeah that people aren't doing five-year plans anymore you just got to do annual plans because mm. yeah but yeah. it doesn't mean you shouldn't think long term mm. it no. doesn't mean you shouldn't think about well what what if what, what are if, the consequences yeah. but mm. being agile in your planning and your execution mm. yeah. is really important because if suddenly you're still going that way mm. and all the stuff's over here then you still got to know what your north star is, isn't mm. it? Where you're still trying to get to, and then your route might shift a bit, or you might, but you still got to know where I, you want to get to. I, I think in one of the one of the other 
episodes of The Gentleman from um, Wellington City Council talked about the direction. Mm. It's like, what direction are we going in? Mm. What are the sort of waypoints or the pole mm. that are going to tell us that we're going in the right direction? Mm. And it, it's almost like, current how are the currents changing what does that mean mm. what's what's the weather like like yeah. well what, what decisions do we need to make mm. that um that uh enabled us to adapt to an emerging situation mm. which is really challenging mm. in big organizations like and it's when a challenging the emergence thing to do. short term puts out the long yeah. term yeah it's mm. really 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 challenging <laughs> Mm. That's why you get paid the big busks. There we go. <laughs> I'm aware of time. That was just over a little bit, hour and a half. So I want to kind of ask you a wrap-up question. Cool. If we have covered enough, or if you've got any juicy questions still hanging in your brain that you need Chris to... cry. I'm really upset. What? <laughs> we were talking in the background. I, I said, I, I, I can cry at the drop of the hat. So if I do cry, and then... We'll have to bring you back for that one. Mm. Maybe the, the last question will bring some tears. <laughs> Didn't ask me about my, my mom, then I would have cried. My, yeah. <laughs> my nine-year-old could cry on like... On demand. Demand, so if, if only I had that okay. skill, then you could ask me and I could just bring it on, but... Okay, well, my la last question was going to be about we... The tagline for Creative Welly is Courageous Conversations with Bold Humans. Yeah. What does courage look like mm -hmm. in your world for the next kind of year? What are you going to be courageous in? Shall I go? I'm just, I'm just watching that speck of dust there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like drifting down. Uh, oh. I think not being limited by ideas of what you are, like, okay. like you, uh, in 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 the tagline that uh, or the role. What do you want us to write about what you do? Mm. And and I just decided that I'm just going to put it all in. Like, because I don't think I do one thing. Do one. I've yeah. like come to the point where actually I do all this stuff. Mm. Uh, sometimes maybe to my detriment that I should just focus on one thing and like plow that furrow. But sure. I probably don't think I'd be happy if I just mm. did that. Yeah. So yeah. I do all this stuff, and that's the stuff that I bring to the table. And uh, and my my business partner Chris, like we, we bring all this stuff to the table, right? Uh, and. Just be more true to that. Like I wrote, I, I think what you talked about integrity, like having integrity about what you do mm. is really, really important. Like it's almost the, the most important thing in business probably when you reflect on it. Just having integrity and people seeing and feeling that when they experience yeah. things with you, when they do things with you, whatever that might be. And I, and I, I yeah, I sent a newsletter to, today talking about I, I'd send this random newsletter that I started radical newsletter about, yeah about about two months ago and and today's one was on Fraggle Rock uh, and just about the idea of joy and like how we experience joy and uh, and that these things they like, if if something brings you joy why should you be like ashamed about it or, or why don't we experience joy more often or why don't we just do the things that we want to do what why do we forget about what as, as we get older why don't we just be the people that we want to be instead of caving into social pressure about totally because you're this age you shouldn't do mm. that because you do this you should dress a certain way or mm. whatever it is and that's 
I mean, I really wanted to wear a hoodie today because I'm like, that, 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 like that's what I want to do. This is how I'm comfortable. Uh, and you can judge people on how they look, mm. but there's so much stuff that sits behind that. Mm. Yeah. You know, the, the experiences, the intelligence, mm. like the, the humanity, like all this stuff that you want to get through mm. to be able to like spend time and, and work with people. Uh, with people so like being true to that is something that probably through covid like i wrote that one public servant once said to me that i had to wear a suit to be taken seriously and and after that i sort of re like <laughs> rebelled i think it's welled up inside <laughs> me with resentment to the point where now i'm like no mm. i don't have to do any of that stuff to be successful Too right i can just be who I want to be, be really mm. comfortable about that. And it almost acts like a filter sometimes, mm. right? It's like yeah, people who know and who want to work with you see mm. through all that and they see the substance. And I think being true to that, like being true to the substance, being true to the integrity and being true to the work mm. is like the sort of mission for the, mm. for the year. Mm. Perfect. Mm. Yeah, what does courage mean for me? Um, I, it is using my voice well, um, and the title Chief Transformation doesn't sit very easily or comfortably with me because it is, it is not necessarily the, mm. there's not an end state, and, but I'm privileged to be in the position I've got and I meet fantastic people and I and trying to delve into some of these questions is, is yeah. awesome and trying to be part of something to help shift it and move the dial or keep the ball being passed up the field or whatever analogy yeah. we want to use. And I think my, um, my skill set is I am a good connector of different people. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the other things too is, yeah, with my mum passed away last year quite, quite quickly and it really brought home a lot of the cliches just about life and time and spending time with the people you want to but also like like you of that do the stuff that makes you happy and if you're not if it's not happy you don't have to stay there and and make active choices in your life yeah. and so not um being beholden um yeah being active in your own life and being courageous around being active in your own, li own mm. life and doing what um what you need to do in the right way but but being yeah true to yourself mm. beautiful well humans thank you for Tell your them. time your insights your honesty your vulnerability your wonderfulness thank you we're too painful right no <laughs> he says that was creative welly episode 44 did you enjoy that? I hope you did. Reach out to the people involved. Tell them how much you like that. Big thanks again to John O'Tucker over at Empire Film, who's our video producer on this, and also David Hamilton at Flashdog Studio for hosting us as well. My name's DK. You've been listening to Creative Wally, Courageous Conversations with Bold Humans, and we'll see you next time.